Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. A very good afternoon to you. It is today, Wednesday, the 5th of July, 2023. It is the 16th of Tammuz, 5783. And a warm welcome <clears throat> to an otherwise pretty chilly um, environment at the moment, but um, really, really nice to be with you this afternoon, chatting to you in, uh, as usual on Judaism 101.9. It's Rabbi Michael Katz coming to you live from the studio here in Chai FM, and what a privilege it is to talk to you today. If we are to think about today, <clears throat> some may say we look forward, and looking forward from today is 71 days to go till Rosh Hashanah. 81 days till Yom Kippur. Um, now, that's uh, kind of close-ish. Um, it's uh, really, really coming towards that part and that time of the year, but we've still got to get through the next three weeks, which are known as the three weeks, or Beina Meitzarim, as it's known in the classics, meaning between the limitations. And what are these limitations? The two outer limitations of this period of time, known as the three weeks, are... 17th of Tammuz, which is tonight and tomorrow, and Tisha B'Av, which is tonight and tomorrow, three weeks' time. The three weeks and these daunting three weeks actually, effectively, begin today. And why we say that is because if we're going to look back and we're going to go back in Jewish history 3,336 years ago, Today, now that's proper years, 3,336 years ago today, 16th of Tammuz in the year 1313 before the Common Era or the year 2448, the same year in which the Torah was given. What was happening on this day? The Jewish camp was in a turmoil. It had been 40 days. Since the Torah was given to us on Mount Sinai, the Jewish people were expecting the return of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moses was supposed to come back down the mountain. Remember, he ascended the mountain at the time of the giving of the Torah, at the time of Matan Torah He didn't return on the day that they'd expected him back. <coughs> they took everything that Moshe said to be absolutely, wholefully, completely true. And they could never fault anything that he said. And he had told them he was going to be back in 40 days. Well, that 40 days and 40 nights wasn't due until the next morning, but they'd calculated it from the time that he told them. And therefore, they started to wonder what had become of Moshe Rabbeinu. Had Moses abandoned them? Had he died on the mountain? Had he left them? And they couldn't envisage a life without him. And they came to Aaron, and they engineered. They got Aaron to make, with their help, of course, the famous golden calf. Yes, today is the anniversary of the making of the golden calf. Making of the idol in the desert. Now, the day of the making of the golden calf has been one that's recorded several times, referred to rather several times throughout the Talmud. And you know what they say? They say, Kashe le Yisrael keyom shenase bohaegel. Kashe le Yisrael keyom shenase bohaegel. It's as difficult for the Jewish people as the day on which the golden calf was made. Well, that's referring to today. And therefore, kind of recorded in 
the annals of the Talmud and Jewish history is the idea that today is a pretty tough day. Today is the day on which originally that golden calf was made. And then it says, Kasheli Yisrael, this was as difficult for the Jewish people as the day on which the golden calf was made. If, however, we take a look at the things, the events throughout history that are compared to this day, we see something really, really amazing in those comparisons. If we look comparatively at everything that is referred to as being as difficult for the Jewish people as the day on which the golden calf is made, we've got to read between the lines. We've got to know that our Talmudic language is extremely exacting, extremely accurate. And if they wanted to say it was as difficult as the making of the golden calf, that's what they would have said. If they wanted to say it was as difficult as the golden calf itself, that is what they would have said. They didn't say that. They said it is as difficult for the Jewish people as the day on which the golden calf was made. And our sages, of course, interpret this and tell us that what we see lined up with all these occurrences that are compared to this day is that there was still a possibility that it could have turned out right. There was some element of it that could have been good. However, in the end, it turned out bad, sad, negative, terrible. So, on the day that which, on which the golden calf was made, the Jewish people came to Aaron, Aaron Akain, the great leader of the Jewish people who loved them all, the head of all the Kohanim, and it was his grandson after whom the uh, coming um, week's parsha is named, Parshat Pinchas, um, who had the Brisi Sholem, the covenant of peace that was given to him, that in all times all the Kohanim, all the priesthood of Israel would come from him. It would be an inherited family position. If we think about Aaron Akoin, that man of love, he didn't want to turn on his people. They were demanding. They were commanding. And he still felt, probably, that he could take this whole energy of the people and he could turn it around. He could make the golden calf, so to speak. And there was some room to think about it as a a gateway to godliness because uh, the image of the throne that the Jewish people had seen of God sitting on his throne had actually several images underneath it kind of in support or access to. One of them, of course, was Moshe, was a man. The other was actually a golden calf. And then, of course, a lion and an eagle and so on. But we've got this idea of a golden calf being there as one of those kind of preemptive images of access to God. And therefore, he thought, he felt, the golden calf could have been something that would have been a mechanism to get through to God. Of course, it turned out wrong. And of course, the next day the Jewish people, or many of them, worshipped it. And it was then that all the tragedies and calamities of that day actually, literally, probably not the right expression for a golden calf, but they came home to roost. And as they say, the rest is history. But a little bit more about that after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So the period of turmoil that uh, pervaded the Jewish camp in the desert, as we said, those 3,336 years ago today, saw the resultant making of the golden calf. And it could have been different. Aaron still thinks, and he still says, this is going to be a 
festival, we will make a festival machar, tomorrow we'll make a festival for God. He's referring to God on high, he's referring to making that festival and wanting to direct the Jewish people towards that. However, the Jewish people worshipped it, it became an idol, and they said, this is the God that took us out of Egypt. And, of course, we know, as they say, all the rest is history. It was from then on that the Jewish people were destined to die in the desert. Terrible, terrible events and uh, difficulties that unfurled upon them. And Moshe Rabbeinu descends. He comes down the mountain, and he stays uh, – <coughs> rather, he stays up the mountain that day, but he comes down. God says, look, that's tomorrow. 17th of Tammuz, God says, look, what the, what the son, there's trouble in the camp. There's problems. You better get back to your people. Moshe descends, realizes what's going on, and, of course, breaks the tablets. The tablets of stone get broken. The Aserus Adibris, those first set of miraculous tablets on which was the handwriting of God, the engraving of God. Um, the Ten Commandments, the famous Ten Commandments, are now shattered, and that happened on the 17th of Tammuz, 3,336 years ago. So it's a day kind of the next 24 hours or so, days that are kind of embedded in our national psyche as being a time of difficulty, of tragedy, of um, kind of hopes being dashed, of the dashing of those tablets, of the uh, lack of uh, commitment on behalf of our people to what is really right and what is really good, giving up hope, worshipping a golden calf, worshipping an idol, turning our backs on God. All of these things transpire at this time. And so therefore the 17th of Tammuz became this date etched in Jewish history as being a time of difficulty, a time of sadness, a time of tragedy. But there were other things that happened on this day. In the year 69 of the Common Era, the year 69 of the Common Era, not as long ago as those 3,336 years ago, <coughs> but rather just under 2,000 years ago, the walls of Jerusalem were breached. Now, this is in the time of the second Beit Hamikdash, the time of the second temple. The walls of Jerusalem were breached. And that happened under the direction of Titus, remember, the Roman occupation, the Roman conquest of Jerusalem. And that led directly to the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash, the second temple, um, which happened um, a few weeks later, remember, Tisha B'Av, coming up in three weeks' time. That's this period of time. It mirrors exactly the time of the Great Pressure, the Roman uh, occupation of Jerusalem and the terrible, torturous, heinous uh, viciousness that they um, actually uh, wreaked upon the Jewish people, which started from the 17th of Tammuz. It started from tomorrow. That also happened on the 17th of Tammuz and led to the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash. If we reflect back a little bit, and I know we're jumping around in history, the temple services were, dis were disrupted in the year 423, before the Common Era. So we would go back 423 years before that, um, uh, or rather before the uh, Common Era, so 423 plus our 2,023 years of the Common Era, we have the date on which the daily sacrificial offerings, the Korban Tamid in the Holy Temple, was discontinued. And this was three weeks before the Babylonian destruction of the First Temple in 423. Um, it happened 
even then. So we have 17th of Tammuz in the desert. We have 17th of Tammuz. Destruction of the first temple was a date on which this, uh, the uh, daily sacrifices were disrupted um, in, by the Babylonians. And then the day on which the walls were breached and the uh, Roman legions were able to bring about the eventual destruction, not only of Jerusalem, but of the Beit HaMikdash of the temple. It's also the date that marks the Roman general Apostomus who burned the Torah and placed an idol in the holy temple. Um, and we have to remember then that the fighting in Jerusalem continued for those three weeks until the ninth of Av, when the holy temple, when the Beit HaMikdash was set ablaze and eventually, of course, destroyed. So we're looking at today as being the day on which, in inverted commas, it could have gone either way. It could have been a day on which there was some kind of higher purpose to why the Jewish people thought that they could make the golden calf, kind of going down the line of thinking of Aaron, Archean, of Aaron. Um, but then it turned out really, really bad. It turned into the idol worship. It turned into our turning our backs on God. It turned into the destruction of those first tablets of stone, which led to, let's say, the destruction of uh, the first base, I mean, the first temple and the second one, um, which all began and kind of was spearheaded by the day of the 17th of Tammuz. It does, however, mark... As we know, if we look back in the history um, of the time that we were in the desert, it does mark the end of the first period of 40 days, as we have said in our story, from when Moshe went up the mountain till he came back. And therefore, if we divide up the 40, three times 40 days that actually saw him um, going up the mountain for the first time, receiving the uh, Torah the first time, he went up a second time in which primarily he was pleading on behalf of the Jewish people. And then a third time when he went up to get the Torah for, in inverted commas, the second time. And then coming down on Yom Kippur, those three periods of 40 days line up one after the other. 40 days from Shavuot to the 17th of Tammuz. 40 days from the 17th of Tammuz until Rosh Chodesh Elul. And then 40 days from Rosh Chodesh Elul till Yom Kippur, the day of absolute atonement. And that kind of gives us an inkling as to what we actually should be thinking on a day of fasting in general, and particularly perhaps when we think about the 17th of Tammuz, which is tshuva, repentance, and kapara, atonement. Those are the things, and exoneration, those are the things that should be uppermost in our minds as we go into this daunting, difficult, and uh, not so pleasant three-week period. Now, what are the customs relating to this period of mourning? Well, the first thing I want to warn you about is that um, we actually only have a few hours left now to have haircuts. One of the things that we don't do during a period of mourning, because the 17th of Tammuz to till Tisha B'Av, these three weeks, is a period of semi-mourning, and during this period of time, we do not cut hair. So, from this evening at sunset, few um, whatever it is, 25 minutes after 5 this evening, we no longer should cut our hair right up until the day after Tisha B'Av, the 10th of Av, which is three weeks later. So if you're due for a haircut, um, go get one quickly because uh, time is running out on this the 16th day of Tammuz. What else do we do? 
Well, let's think about a fast day itself. The fast day itself, tomorrow, we do not eat or drink. That's from before the, it gets light in the morning right up until after it gets dark in the evening. Um, it's a day-only fast. It's not a 24-hour, 24, 5 or 26-hour fast. It's rather more like 11 hours or so. 12 hours maximum here in uh, the wintry part of the world at this time of the year. Spare a thought for those in the northern hemisphere who have a long summer fast where it gets a lot dark really, really late in Europe, in North America and so on. <coughs> but we have one of our shorter fasts being the 17th of Tammuz. Um, and um, it commemorates all these difficult and harsh things. And we've got to remember that it's an important time um, for us to introspect, to think deeply into what went wrong and what still unfortunately goes wrong and what can be and should be corrected, and to bring us to tshuva, to repentance, to exoneration, which is the ultimate um, of all of these periods of time, as we said, as they line up, culminating with Yom Kippur. So, healthy adults, people over the age of bar and bat mitzvah, should not eat or drink um, at all. On the day of the fast, pregnant and nursing women consult with your rabbi as well as should someone who is ill. Um, and even those who are exempt from fasting, for instance, uh, children should not indulge in delicacies or sweets. That is the custom. It's, uh, is certainly permitted to wake up early tomorrow morning to take the fast. However, one needs to have that in mind this evening before you go to sleep that you actually have in mind that you're going to do it. It shouldn't be something that just happens by accident because otherwise, officially, when you lie down to sleep, if you're getting up a little bit after sunrise tomorrow morning or after daybreak tomorrow morning, you have already taken in the fast when you lay down to sleep. So um, if you want to eat in the morning, do that. Don't uh, forget to make a mental note this evening that you, that is something you're going to do. Um, tomorrow we do, during our morning prayers, we say, Slichot, which are the penitential prayers that are printed in the back of most uh, prayer books. We say the Long Avinu Malkeinu during our prayers. We read the Torah, and the Torah reading uh, tomorrow, even though it's Thursday, will be the uh, morning and afternoon reading of Vayachal, of the story, actually, of uh, the breaking of the uh, tablets, <coughs> discusses what happened immediately after that golden calf incident, and so it's directly reflecting uh, this particular date. Tomorrow afternoon, Mincha time, we usually dive in just a little bit earlier. Prayer service will be a little bit earlier in most shuls in order to make sure that we have the opportunity for that Torah reading um, and um, the uh, other parts of the Mincha of the afternoon prayer. And we should make sure that we really take this day quite seriously. A lot of people kind of uh, become a bit flippant when it comes to many of these fast days, thinking that, you know what, this isn't a fast for me, it's not a fast for everybody, it's only for the very religious, this is something that is absolutely incorrect, it should be for everybody, and if you have a health concern, or, uh, as we said, a woman is pregnant or nursing and so on, that should be done only in consultation with your rabbi. Our sages have explained that every generation for which the temple is not rebuilt, it's as though the temple was destroyed for that generation. And a fast day is not only a sad day, but an opportune day. It's a day in which we're empowered to fix 
the cause of that destruction. So our long exile will be ended, and we'll soon be able to find ourselves living in a much more pleasant time, the era of the coming of Mashiach. Now, during this period of time between the 17th of Tammuz and the 9th of Av, it's a time, as we said, of semi-mourning. So some of the mourning practices that we have during this period of time are that we do not cut hair, as we said before. We don't purchase new clothing. We don't listen to music. So from tomorrow, um, on <clears throat> the even on Chai FM during our, uh, let's call it the religious sector, um, the time of the Shiurim on the radio station, uh, they will be playing what we call a cappella music, music that doesn't have um, uh, instruments and so on. Um, we would not be going out for public entertainment, um, and no weddings are held during this period of time. We've got to remember it's a time when there was strife. It's a time when we're told that the temple was destroyed because of a lack of love between um, people, people had un- unwarranted and unwanted hatred uh, between them for seemingly for no reason. And therefore, it's a period of time when we should see to it that we do uh, love each other and just a little bit more that we make a greater effort in being kind and being nice and being gentlemanly and lazy, ladylike to each other and in showing each other the kind of respect that uh, we are due and to love everybody as you love yourself all of that should be there during this period of time. We've got to make sure that we stamp out hatred, that we get rid of anything that has got to do with anything that is negative, not only for ourselves, for our fellow men, and uh, for all mankind. We should try and see to uh, an uptick in good and positive energy, in good and positive things of love, of learning Torah, of doing all the good things that we as Jews should be doing. But no weddings. And why no weddings? No weddings. Because perhaps it's a time when people don't show each other the requisite amount of love. How can you set up um, um, Jewish homes uh, under a chuppah and have the singing and dancing and entertainment and great uh, furor of uh, love and so on that's supposed to come with a wedding when the background is one of sadness and one where people didn't love each other in the requisite fashion. So therefore, period of difficulty, of darkness, of a bit of sadness during this period of time, but hopefully that can all soon be turned around. Be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So our job as Jews has to be that we are fixers. We've got to fix what is broken. We've got to mend what is destroyed, and we've got to rectify what has gone wrong. That is part of our job. And surely, during this period of time, during these three weeks, and starting from today, we have to make sure that we fix. Well, what did go wrong? And ultimately, is it our fault? Is it something that we did wrong? Or is it rather something that others did wrong? Well, we believe that we all stood at Mount Sinai. Each and every one of us was part and parcel of the Jewish people. Then our souls were all present. And while we don't necessarily um, always believe in collective punishment, we do certainly believe that we are responsible for each other in the same way. We are responsible to see that the world that we live in is a much better place. That We've got an obligation, an absolute obligation to fix this world. 
tikkun. We've got to make sure that we are fixing. So how do we fix the things that went wrong? And what are those things that went wrong? The things that went wrong, we're told, in the destruction, of course, of those tablets of stone, we see it was because of idol worship. So idol worship clearly is one of those agendas. Secondly, we know that the temples were destroyed because of wanton hatred. So hatred for each other is one of those things that has to be fixed. There were other things that were done uh, during that period of time that um, surely need to be fixed, and that is that the Torah itself, if we think about it, Everything that was represented, that represented the Torah, that was represented by the Torah um, <coughs> on that date of the 17th of Tammuz was broken in front of the eyes of the Jewish people. The idea of desecration, of breaking of the Torah in whatever way it happens. Yes, then Moshe Rabbeinu had as the agenda, Moses' agenda was to prevent the Jewish people from being obligated by it, perhaps, to take it away before it was even something that they had taken ownership of and therefore they couldn't be held responsible for it. But perhaps this is a three-pronged kind of an approach that we need to take upon ourselves when we think about the 17th of Tammuz tonight and tomorrow. We think about the pending coming up three weeks leading up to Tisha B'Av, and that is to make improvements in our lives and to rectify, to fix in the realm of our relationship with God Almighty, in other words, in our prayers, in our davening, in our participation in communal prayer and in uh, minyanim and so on, perhaps that is a very, very good place to start as far as fixing the relationship between ourselves and God. Number two is to make sure that we fix the possible and uh, negative view of the Torah, desecration of the Torah in whatever way, by non-performance of mitzvot, by not uh, doing what the Torah says, by leading a life perhaps that is not quite in keeping with the Torah and so on. And, of course, by wasting time that we could be spending in learning Torah. There are so many opportunities for Torah learning. We live in such a privileged time where everything and anything is available at the click of a button, never mind having to go out and find it in uh, your nearby shul or community or whatever, where, of course, it's available. And, of course, that is so far, far much better. However... Everything and anything is available for you to download, to read, to look, to learn, and to delve a little bit more into you you and your Torah. So it's you and your God and you and your Torah. And then what about you and your fellow man? Here, too, there is so much room for improvement. So let's spend some time uh, davening a little bit more, praying a little bit better, and involved in the right way in our prayer services. And let's... See to it that we study a little bit more, that we learn a little bit more, that we're more involved in our Torah learning, and we show it the kind of due respect uh, that it is um, due, that it needs, and that it should have. And then, of course, respect for our fellow men, um, where we have the perfect opportunity during this period of time to um, end any machlokas, any argument that we may have with anybody to Get rid of any harsh feeling or bad feeling that there may be within your family or within your uh, friendship circle or within your community or within uh, your broader, uh, wider people of your country, of your of your street even, of your neighborhood, whatever it is, to end any kind of strife or difficulty, machlokas, 
uh, disrespect that there may be, and to just love people a little bit more, to, of course, love the ones who are close to you a little bit more, uh, perhaps value and love yourself a little bit more, and definitely value and love um, all people just that a little bit more, showing that Avas Yisrael, showing that love for your fellow man, for your fellow Jew, uh, most particularly through your Torah and your uh, learning and so on, but um, of course extending it to everybody to value people, to value life itself, and to remember that God's creatures were all created for a purpose, and it's not for us to uh, look askance at anything and at anybody, but rather to be absolutely positive in our love that we show for each other. So hopefully with that three-pronged approach for the coming three weeks, we will um, not only outsmart these three weeks, but we'll take them to a completely different level and ultimately turn the three weeks of sadness and the three weeks of difficulty into three weeks of joy, three weeks of happiness, and three weeks of simcha. Looking forward to that, um, aren't we? And I'll be back with you to sum up right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. In Hebrew, the name for the three weeks is called Bain HaMeitzarim, as we mentioned before. It's between the restrictions or the restraints, the constraints. Remember, the word Mitzrayim, meaning Egypt, is the same word as Meitzarim, which means restrictions or restraints. We have this image of being restricted. There are certain restrictions during this time, and the main restrictions are on our feelings of positivity, of joy, of happiness, of all of those things uh, because of events that happened in the past. So it's our opportunity during these three weeks to do whatever we can to turn that around, to change it all, to bring simcha into the world, to make things just a little bit happier, to be a little kinder to each other, to be a little bit nicer, to introspect a little bit and make a big difference in our own lives and in the lives of those who are around us, in the lives of our community, in the lives of our country, in the lives of the whole world. And let's take the opportunity here now with these coming three weeks to spend the time fruitfully, to spend it well, to make sure that it's not just open-ended sadness and mourning. That can never really be a Jewish agenda. The Jewish agenda has to be how do we do something about it? How do we fix it? How do we make it better? How do we take our negativity and turn it into a positivity? How do we take our sadness and turn it into joy? So let's sit and think for a while and let's spend some time doing what we can and should do best. Being positive, being happy, uh, providing the kind of energy within our prayers, within our learning, and within our actions between ourselves and our fellow men that will take this three-week period, turn it on its head, turn it completely around, and make these days into days of great joy, great merrymaking, great simcha, and please God, the ultimate simcha of, as we mentioned before, the fact that Mashiach will come and take us out of this golis, out of this Exile out of this ultimate of restrictions and bring us to a time that we can only imagine um, and think about um, and hopefully see in the very, very near future. I want to wish you a great week up ahead, great rest of the week. I want to wish you a good fast tomorrow and I wish you a great Shabbat on this coming weekend. Look forward to being back with you same time, same place soon on another exciting episode of Judaism 101.9.